Hello, everybody. Hello to all uh, passionate negotiators around the world. Uh, welcome to the new episode of podcast uh, on negotiation with a very, very special guest. Uh, we have Francesco Marchi with us. Uh, and Francesco uh, has a profound background in, uh, uh, in, uh, in negotiation training, has trained hundreds, if not thousands of EU officials and diplomats around the world. And together we'll talk about uh, negotiation as an organizational capability. My name is Remy Smolinski and welcome to the next episode of podcast on negotiation. Francesco, would you like to introduce yourself? Okay, so good evening to everyone and thanks very much Remy for inviting me to, to share some, some ideas. So about myself, I work uh, at the Sekiren, so Institute for Research and Education and Negotiation in Paris. And in the last uh, 13 years, I've been training uh, EU officials for the European Commission, European External Action Service. So I spend a long time uh, training in negotiation, international negotiation, multilateral negotiation, sharing skills. And uh, in the spare time, if we can say so, because I've got a lot of training, as you see, I'm in Brussels for the first <laughs> in-presence training after two years. In the spare time, uh, I teach uh, still at the university. So I'm a professor, I'm a visiting professor at the College of Europe in the Department of International Relations and Diplomacy. And I teach also at CIA, CSPO in Paris. So always international negotiation and European negotiation. And I'm very happy to be here with you this evening. It's amazing, right? It's been a long day for you, uh, given the fact that you've uh, just finished uh, training uh, training EU officials. Uh, it's uh, um, the more uh, the more I appreciate uh, you spending time with us uh, this evening. So, uh, Francesco, normally uh, when we talk about negotiation, we we talk we talk about it. The unit of analysis is individual. We talk about building negotiation skills. Uh, we talk about uh, we talk about you know how to uh, become better negotiators and as individuals. Yeah. Um, it would be great if you could explain briefly what it means to change the unit of analysis to an organization. And what is the new perspective that it offers us? Why does it make sense? And what is the, uh, what is the value behind switching from an individual or skill of an individual to a capability of an organization? Okay, uh, let's say that... Uh during uh, the trainings, uh, during my research and the contact with the EU official, I have seen uh, that the model uh, proposed by Adrian Borbelli and Andrea Caput in 2017 in their famous articles uh, on organizational capability was resonating very much with the challenges that those people in the EU or in public administration were exposed to. And it's interesting because they identify four levels. First, the individual, so okay, um, you are an active listener, you know how to behave, uh, emotional resilience, but still uh, it's very important to consider the linkages with different negotiations that your, your organization is running, right? You are the you, uh, you are negotiating an FTA with a given country, but at the same time you are negotiating an FTA uh, with another country, right? You are negotiating common agricultural policy plan with uh, a given member states, the Czech Republic, but you're negotiating with Poland, with Spain, and uh, precedents or concessions you've made somewhere else may backfire into another negotiation. So 
having a vision of the different negotiation is very important. But it's also very meaningful to look at the infrastructure level. That means which is the managerial support that you have for your own negotiation. How many are you in your team? We are two. We have one legal advisor, and from the other side, there are 50, right? I bump into an agency, I will not name necessarily which agency of the EU, but they had to negotiate contemporarily at the same time with 27 national regulatory agencies, and they had one legal advisor. So that the problem was there. Probably not only uh, European Union example. Uh, recently, I was training the, the cybersecurity team of the Ministry of, of Interior in France, people that were in charge of the French presidency of the EU. And there we saw that uh, there was a tension between uh, police, uh, gendarmerie, different mindsets. Uh, there was also an interesting problem that those people needed to get legal advice, then they had to coordinate with the General Secretary of European Affairs. It means that the managerial support on the infrastructure level is meaningful and it's pertinent to analyze negotiation dynamics because you are in a situation of sequential interdependence. You need the given service to perform a task so that you can move on into the process of negotiation, right? And I think that also the last level, the capability level uh, of the overall organization, I mean, to what extent as an organization you are able to capitalize or first to find good practices, analyze what you're doing, which is your performance, and how you can redistribute across the whole organization uh, the good practices so that people are learning so that you are capitalizing and also that you identify potentially uh, the mistakes and you try to remove them, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think that their uh, organizational model of negotiation, it does resonate uh, very much with what I've seen. So that I started, you know, uh, looking at how their model could be applied to the European Union. And last example, mm -hmm. uh, the Brexit. You need Michel Barnier, of course, as a negotiator. But Michel Barnier needed a 50-people task force. I had the privilege to work with a couple of times. And you probably need to coordinate with European Parliament, with the 27 member states. So, I mean, individual matters, but also the organizational capability. It's important because you need to have an alignment on strategic purposes right. and objectives. Well, Makes sense. Makes sense. Thank you so much. So it's uh, it's not only individual skill, but also linkages, but also processes, but also <clears throat> when when we put it all together, it adds up to uh, to a capability of an organization um, which define its uh, its ability to deal with uh, potential potential partners uh, and stakeholders. Uh, uh, Francesco, <clears throat> when you think about, it's probably not a dichotomy, right? So either we have it or we don't have it, right? In terms of uh, in terms of negotiation capability. I can imagine that it's a, um, it's a process, right? It always starts with individuals, right? Because they somehow um, uh, first need to acquire a certain level of skills uh, before anything, any magic can happen on a higher level, a higher uh, uh, organizational level, right? Uh, um, and there's this concept of, uh, of uh, negotiation maturity, organizational negotiation maturity. Um, 
As I was preparing for uh, for this uh, for today's talk, I was very uh, very much puzzled by this. Could you maybe explain what negotiation maturity is all about and uh, um, uh, how it's how it's, it's divided into different stages, how to reach, how to move from one to the other? Um, why is it relevant? Okay, uh, uh, let's say that um, my reflection on that point. Uh, was driven by the, the study conducted by Utuate International, Improved Corporate Negotiation, that was already published in 2009. And when I bumped into it a couple of years ago, I was very, you know, wow, wow that, that's great. There are good things, and it was kind of puzzling also, uh, that concept of negotiation maturity. But it corresponds to uh, the level of awareness of the negotiation that is present in your organization, right? Because if you consider uh, negotiation at organizational level, uh, you need to look at, uh, and these studies is identifying 10 parameters, negotiation processes. Do you have negotiation processes that are standardized and your negotiator are compliant with those processes, uh, which is the level of cross-organizational collaboration, coordination, alignment, stakeholders that are involved but also they are mentioning data collection preparation and planning do you have common tools uh, what about negotiation trainings right to, 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 to what extent are you able to train uh, I think um, you know, in, in your organization and to have a, a world-class uh, bunch of negotiators right that, mm -hmm. that can defend uh, your opinion just to give you an example on this, uh, the negotiation training, I think that what we did uh, with the Sekirene, with the European Commission, it was a kind of success because rather than having a scattered set of trainings, you know, uh, here and there, we built uh, a negotiator's learning path. So a sort of parkour with eight seminars, starting from basic negotiation skills to multilateral, then chairings, was a kind of tracking the progress of the organization but that study was interestingly enough also pointing to other factors that may show the level of maturity the measurement of negotiation success okay how can you measure your negotiation success because when it comes to a business right you can quantify but when it comes to negotiating an fta or a political and economic partnership when you are negotiating a text what may sound as a technical success may be perceived as a political failure and, uh, and vice versa. So that to be a reliable uh, negotiators, a mature negotiators, you need to agree internally. The notion of success with the people you're working with is not an individual matter. What should be a success uh, for us? And then I think that there are other uh, relevant factors uh, that were very catching my attention. The motivation for negotiation success, to, to what extent are you able to reward the negotiators in your organization? I go to Peru and I'm involved in five days multilateral negotiation. I get back to office and no one is saying me thanks. Um, or on the contrary, you get some benefits, you've got extra holidays, you've got some kind of rewards. I mean, it, it, it does change. And then uh, one important element to, uh, I think, uh, measure the maturity uh, 
of an organization is the capacity to identify where the negotiations are taking place in your organization. Who are the people that are negotiating? You know, one of the classic themes that we listen in, in all the training of negotiation, everyone is negotiating. Yes, but negotiating where you go to the cinema with your wife is not equal to negotiating an FTA with an American administration, right? And the problem is that one, one interesting thing we did uh, with the European Union institution, it was to look at who had the negotiation word in their job description. And uh, very surprisingly, we looking at the job description of all the 35,000 something officials, we came out with a list of 740 people, showing that very few had the job description negotiation, in the, in the negotiation in their job description. It means that you don't know the people who are negotiating, because probably you are an intellectual property expert, you are negotiating, but you're labeled as an intellectual property expert, nor as a negotiator. It means that you will not receive necessarily the training for negotiating. Right. So I think that, that, that there is a, a, a very important uh, element in there, knowing where are your negotiators. And then another element of maturity that was uh, in that study and that really got my attention is your capacity to capitalize on good practices. Right. To what extent you have after action report. Uh, to what extent you capitalize on good practices and now you mobilize people to stick to those uh, good practices. And, of course, uh, uh, it's very challenging. It's very difficult. Right. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much, Francesco. <clears throat> and uh, when you... Um, uh, when you um, so we, we have uh, negotiation maturity in terms of uh, the ultimate, ultimate objective of learning organizations uh, in terms of their uh, negotiation capability. Yeah? Um, whose job is it at an organization to build negotiation as an organizational capability? Is that the, the head? Is, is it a top-down approach? Is it a bottom-up approach? Uh, how does uh, this collective uh, capability on organizational level emerge? Yeah? Is it, okay. uh, can it be ordered from above or does it have to be how does it have to be consolidated and move up from uh, uh, from those who have enjoyed uh, negotiation training and then disseminated in in the, in the organization? How does it usually work, Francesco? Okay, um, it can work in different ways, right? But the problem is that you, if you want to increase your organizational capabilities, people think that they it's sufficient to invest in negotiation training, right? Uh, and, and that's not the way it goes. I mean, already Morbius uh, and Lawrence Saskind in 2009, they were reflecting on that problematic uh, build to win, creating world class organization in their famous book. And they pointed the figure to this. You, you, usually people are training middle management people, right? But when they will have new concepts, when they will have new practices, there will be a bottleneck effect because the leadership is not receptive, right? And this is what we see, because you, you attend the negotiation training on two days, then you go back to your office and things go as they have been going, path dependency, because you will be the only one to have new ideas and you probably have to convince people who have this path dependence behavior, right? So that in, in my perspective, 
and also in what comes up from different researches is that you have first to get a serious audit in negotiation. Looking at your processes, look at it, what's wrong, where are your negotiators, how many they are, how many you need of them, and then to train the top, because it's the leadership who, who should get new ideas and encourage the people to attend trainings, and then it is the organization that should mobilize this awareness on negotiation. Individual, mm. of course, are necessary. And why I'm telling you this? Because it could be also the other way around. It means that individual, they start talking, and they start realizing how important. So also the bottom-up can help the leadership to realize how important it is. But unless you have the decision from the top of changing direction, nothing is going to work. Right. Yes. So right. basically, uh, I think I, I can absolutely I can absolutely relate and understand. Right. So basically, um, <clears throat> your perspective is, uh, uh, you know, in an organization, everybody tends to look up rather than look down. Right. So if the example doesn't come from above, it's not going to happen. Right. So if my if my boss, if my superior is uh, uh, is a negotiation enthusiast, then I know that by following his or her example, uh, I will gain his or her acceptance promotion and so on and so on and so and uh, if you look if we look at uh, uh, francesco you've uh, spent many years thinking about uh, about negotiation maturity and negotiation uh, capability on an organizational level uh, when we talk when we think about um, examples of organizations that uh, score really really high on the maturity index yeah, so you've mentioned uh, the negotiation audit, right? Which tries to captures uh, try, tries to capture various dimensions uh, of negotiation matur maturity. Um, what examples come to your mind as um, you know of organizations that uh, in which negotiation maturity is high or the highest? Well, this is the one hundred million dollars question. Because I think that uh, already uh, the study from Autweight, that was a very extensive one with world and 124 interviews from the 500 fortunes companies, they just came up with uh, 5% of companies that are able to be fully mature. So to identify challenges, to set up processes, to start sharing good practices, to encourage compliance and then to redistribute in this kind of learning cycle because people are involved always in, in, in a cyclical kind of negotiation, you know. So I wouldn't have uh, examples to so say this is the best, we should go towards that direction. So, uh, voila. Uh, what can I say is that we may learn from highly reliable organizations. There are interesting things that they are doing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, aviation companies, nuclear plant, surgery block, uh, the army. These are people that are highly reliable. Right? So maybe they are a little bit more mature because they invest more in after action report. Uh, I mean, these examples are the examples that are uh, very uh, known in the in the book of Christian Morel, uh, Les Décisions Absurdes, so the absurd decision. 
So by looking at, you know, that kind of organization that decide to do very simple things, but basics that help this kind of, you know, path towards maturity. And mm -hmm. this may help. We, we, we may take uh, inspiration from, uh, from them. Yes, so reliability, reputation, trustworthiness um, well, seems to be a, a seems, seems to be a common theme <clears throat> when it comes to uh, implying the need for high negotiation maturity uh, for building up high negotiation maturity. Uh, but Francesco, you are a, you are an, you've trained hundreds, if not thousands, of EU officials, right? Various uh, EU institutions. Uh, I would be interested in your opinion to find out your uh, what you think about uh, about uh, negotiation maturity of the EU various EU bodies EU institutions yeah? because basically they are there their reasons for existence is managing relationships so one could venture to say that hey these institutions should have probably among the highest uh, mat negotiation maturity indexes index scores um <clears throat> among uh, all organizations out there how is it how what is the reality yeah okay so thanks for that question that is another 100 million dollar uh, question to answer but in fact what i have been doing the last two years it was to look at those parameters while training people uh, while discussing with them and uh, I cannot have uh, a judgment. They are mature, they are not mature. What, what, what is interesting is that in the European Union, you may find different levels of maturity according to the policy areas that we are dealing with. And this can be easily explained by the fact that there are some policy areas in which the EU has exclusive competence since a long time. This means that the processes have been fine-tuned, that there is a kind of institutional memory which has been transferred from different generations of EU officials so that you have already you know, a solid basis. And there are uh, new policy areas, uh, notably foreign policy, or also other areas that were you know, like uh, minor things, like to buy vaccines on behalf of the member states. Uh, in 2017, it was like... Okay, guys, but this is member state competence. Then there was the COVID, so that we discovered that the joint procurement probably would be helpful to negotiate on behalf of 27 instead of buying, you know. So mm -hmm. it depends really uh, of the policy areas. Uh, and also uh, the European Union has been challenged in terms of maturity because you've got some uh, policy areas who were not politically salient. And then because of the migration, a crisis because of the Ukraine, uh, the energy, so that you got, you know, an unpredictability about the issues to deal with that may render the, 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 the issue complex. And then, of course, uh, I think that to explain the EU negotiation maturity, we need to look not only at the negotiation maturity, but we need to look at the political maturity of the EU. And the political maturity of the EU, uh, I mean, that is challenging, right? People are criticizing. Uh, there are many heads to be uh, put together. And when you have a compound uh, political system with different stakeholders, hundreds of stakeholders, uh, of course, the level of maturity at political level is low. And this will impact, of course, uh, the, the negotiation maturity. 
when you look at uh, institutional uh, interinstitutional rivalries between the European External Action Service, uh, the European Commission, the Council, I mean, things have changed as progress, certainly. But I remember that uh, together with my colleagues of Sekirene, we were training in 2010 the people that were to join the European External Action Service from national diplomacies, from the DG Relics, DG DEFCO. And I wouldn't say that there were so much friends at the beginning. Now we have seen a huge evolution. Uh, you know, that's the point. But I would have to say one thing that what I've seen myself in the European Union is that there are sort of small bubble of very high maturity in which you have very cohesive teams that have been working for years together. But then there is also a lot of mobility in the European Union. And part of the maturity is to have an institutional memory of good practices. And if you don't take stock of this and you have the mobility, uh, higher mobility is certainly wonderful, but for uh, institutional memory and to take stock of good practices, you're, you're losing a lot of institutional memory and negotiation memory when people are changing job. So this is detrimental. Yes, so it's a, a diverse picture. Uh, you're painting a diverse picture from high expertise, high maturity levels, uh, um, very often correlated uh, with political maturity and experience to uh, uh, completely novice areas, which then uh, are still to build their uh, negotiation maturity um, scores. Francesco, <clears throat> when, when we think about negotiation maturity, it's obviously no, it's not an objective in itself, right? So no organization is... Uh, uh, exist just to have a high uh, negotiation maturity score, right? So, uh, <clears throat> so um, what is the reason for a CEO of a commercial company or a director general of a of an EU directorate, uh, right? What would be a reason for them to invest their time, effort, money, uh, resources into building negotiation as an organizational capacity in their units institutions or in their companies what is the reason yeah is there a benefit if i if i score high on the maturity index uh, am i a better organization than if i don't or am i not okay so i will answer with two um, twofold answer first one i think that when you are uh, have a high level of maturity you are more resilient in negotiation, right? And resilience, it's a very a la mode concept today. You have to be a resilient manager, you need to be there. But in fact, resilience comes from the physics of material, okay? It was Messier Charpie, a mechanician in Grenoble, who invented la pendule de Charpie. So this mechanism was eating a material and measuring the capacity to resist to external shocks. And now we use it currently in negotiation, management, team building, whatever. So if you are mature, you have more chances of being resilient to external shocks. And, and, and that's fundamental. In this very volatile uh, international system in which we all navigate, COVID, come on. Uh, Ukraine, that we have sudden crisis, and of course you will be more uh, resilient, right? I think that this is one of the first reasons. 
And then uh, specifically to the EU system, um, I think that if you are more mature, you will survive in negotiation uh, because some of the concepts that we have been familiarized with, uh, thanks to the getting to yes, the Bible of negotiation, and you know, the famous concept of BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement, of course, uh, is simply non existent in European mm. level. Mm. And right. this yes. was one of the first things that I got uh, right in my face when I started training uh, people in the EU, because a couple of diplomats told me, Mr. Mackey, thanks for sharing your BATNA. It does not exist in my negotiation. Because I have no plan B. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, the, 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 there is no plan B for my negotiation. If I have no deal with UK during the Brexit, I will have no deal. There is no alternative, right? If I negotiate the accession of the European Union to the Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, whether I do it, whether I don't, right? And, and, and I think that being in such an uncertain environment uh, will increase your agility and resilience on how to cope with those situations in which you have no partner, right? Mm -hmm. and this is one of the concepts that should structure the power balance at the negotiation table, but when you don't have it. Uh, yeah, makes sense. I also read in one of the reports um, on um, negotiation maturity and audits, um, I think it was, it was the Hathwaite report, um, that uh, uh, high maturity levels also correlate with financial performance. Uh, that the, 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 the organizations, commercial organizations uh, that uh, scored high on, on their negotiation maturity also achieved, I think, I'm not sure if I remember correctly, around 40% more net income than the others. Yeah? So there's also a very, 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 very tangible reason to believe that uh, uh, negotiation, uh, negotiation as an organizational capability matters because it pays off. Obviously, there is a question of chicken and egg. So what's first, right? So one or the other. But I, I, I like to think about negotiation maturity as an independent variable in this uh, in this equation. Yes. Uh, uh, have you have have, uh, have you had any thoughts on uh, you know how to explain this better economic performance of commercial organizations with uh, uh, with higher maturity negotiation maturity indexes? But I think that they uh, they learn. A lot more mm. so that they are able to correct their underperformance right and i think that the parameters developed into the maturity index from Outweight, they point the finger to one basic element in negotiation that is internal alignment of purpose internal alignment of objective and internal alignment of strategy because you know you can agree on we need to get 10 okay right we all agree guys but then how do you get this 10 and if you get eight how can we explain it what are mm -hmm. the changes that need to be done you know how many times training teams and training people in the average is good that's a brilliant analysis brilliant report so mm -hmm. we need to change this we need to coordinate more with the director general okay right guys Nice analysis. You you meet them two months later. So guys, did you manage to implement those changes? Ah, but, ah we didn't have time. Well, I planned the other see why. But ah, because our managerial level is not supporting those changes. It's, it's too it's too big. It's too cost, right? 
you know, we mm -hmm. close that point because I cannot pretend to be an expert on commercial negotiation. I've been involved in international relations and diplomacy and EU affairs, so it's not my field. Uh, but what I've seen in terms of maturity that they explain, people preparing the work of um, the working groups and the council, right? You have a chair, you have a secretariat, they do invest, and you have the classic divide. People that try to prepare very little and consult bilaterally very little, and then they do everything into the meeting. This is recipe for failure. Yeah, but we don't have time. And you have smarter people, more mature in my perspective, uh, in terms of negotiation, then they tell me, ah, oh, Francesca, you know, we don't send email. We call the 27 delegation and try to get in contact with them. We build a relationship. We know who they are. And in 10 minutes, the meeting is over. Hmm. And when you have those two visions in a classroom, I can assure to you that there are still people who do defend, I know, let's not invest in preparation. Well, that's yes, explaining uh... how it goes. Even after 40 years of negotiation research, yes. Uh, uh, Francesco, my last, very, very last question, as a question I always ask to, um, <clears throat> always ask my, uh, my, my, my guests uh, uh, about, it's about great negotiators, you know, be it contemporary or historical, um, anybody that comes to your mind in terms of the, being a North Star role model, uh, shining through either i don't know either the negotiation process or obtain results uh, anyone that who comes to your mind uh, last question hmm. it's, a, it's a kind of uh, very difficult question okay but I, I will give you two answers okay um i think that uh, michel Barnier, what he did during the brexit was very impressive, right? And and therefore also for, for the people that are listening to us, uh, do this exercise. Uh, go on the Twitter account of Boris Johnson and then go on the Twitter account of Michel Barnier and look at the different approaches they had on negotiation. Internal coordination, alignment of European Council agenda with the Brexit rounds of negotiation circulating across the capital to inform your people, the people you are accountable to. Excellent, right? And then probably uh, it's going to be a kind of cliche, uh, but uh, I allow myself to, to, to do this. I think that the best negotiators are Mahatma Gandhi and Nelson Mandela. But because, I mean, it's a kind of example, you know, that when you are powerless, when you got nothing, you can still be powerful. And that's a very important message, I think, that we can give. Because, you know, power in negotiation is multidimensional. And I think that you have to invest on your capital, negotiation capital, be it emotional, cognitive, reputational, cultural. And this is somehow something that I've seen in the European Union, individual, make a difference. And thanks God, we are talking about organizational capabilities, but I want to close this podcast with that very important message that despite the importance of the organizational capability, what I've seen in 13 years in Brussels, the individual can make a huge difference. Voila. 
Thank you so much, Francesco, for your time uh, and, and inspiration, uh, sharing your inspirational thoughts. Uh, that's a perfect ending note. Uh, uh, negotiation is an important organization capability. It has an impact on negotiations, uh, on an organizational performance, but it starts with an individual. Thank you so much, Francesco. It was a delight to have you on our podcast. Grazie. Ciao a tutti. Arrivederci. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.